0: Hey everybody, you're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 59, and in this week's episode, we are going to be talking about your guide to web storage, cookies, local storage, session storage, and the web storage
1: API. Folks, I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm looking at the word "storage," and I've I feel like I've been looking at it too much, and it looks like stew rage now. I'm your um, other host, Aaron Hill. Concerned for your eyesight. <laughs> no, it's that semantic satiation thing, you know? It's like storage, right? Like you look at I've never word. had that
0: problem with that that particular word. <laughs> Stow rage. Stow rage. <laughs> folks if you appreciate the podcast go check out our kind sponsors over at new cloud it's newcloud.com slash drunken ux that lets them know that you got there because of us and that uh so yeah go check them out and uh and, and say nice nice things uh if you're listening to us on itunes uh leave us a little star rating if you're in Spotify or Pocket Casts or CastBox or any of them, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, do all those things. Sure helps us out, and we
1: appreciate uh, all the support you guys give us. And speaking of support, be sure to come support us on the socials at Twitter and Facebook.com slash UX and Instagram.com slash podcast, And also come talk with us on Slack, DrunkenUX.com slash Slack to get on board. Hello, Aaron. I want to play a game. In front of me, I have two bottles. <laughs> one,
0: a fine blended bourbon. The other, an unpeated Isla Scotch.
1: Can I just like, pour them both into my mouth at the same time? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> no, I just want you to choose which one I'm drinking tonight. Wait, hold, hold them up. I want to see which one's prettier. Okay, here's, here's
0: what we got. So, okay. um, I picked up a bottle of Four Roses Small Batch. Ooh. I've never had Four Roses. I've heard really good things about it. Yeah. And this is the fancier Small Batch one. Uh, 90 proof, and then I've got Brook Lottie, the Lottie Classic in a fancy green bottle. This oh, shit like is that. bottled at 100 proof. It's 50%, which Damn. would make it the strongest scotch on my shelf right now.
1: <laughs> I really like that bottle, but I want you to try the Four Roses, because I had Four okay. Roses a few weeks ago, and it was quite good. Four Roses it is, so I'm drinking like Four a, Roses. I think it was a month or two ago. We had a oh, guest on the that? show. That's
0: delightful. Hold on. Listen yeah. to this. This this Yeah. That's like the the perfect
1: pop. Yeah. Um that's the one that I had. I I mixed it with um Oh yeah. cherry vanilla coke and yeah, also yeah. uh I think vanilla coke. It it was good. Like I mean, it's good on its own, but um Ooh. Boy, that's got a
0: nose on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that thing that that punched me right in the sinuses. <laughs> I'm I'm getting a little allergy now that spring's setting in. That that cleared me up real fast. Mm, sweet though, very it's got a very sweet, uh, like a cherry blossomy kind mm-hmm. of, not a rose, yeah, uh, the, not a rose smell, but like a lighter than that.
1: The the vanillins are a lot more apparent in the finish on that one too. I I've got the uh, the Balvenie Caribbean cask 14 that Yay. you drank about a. I think it might have been the same time I was drinking the Four Roses. So we're just switching. Tonight, it's I guess. Like, well, um, that's a hot, a hot bourbon. <laughs> Ooh.
0: you got the cinnamon in it. <laughs> um, like cinnamon, almost like a, a, a yeah. cardamom card cardamom uh, type. Okay. There's yeah. there's a there's a spice like a darker spice mm-hmm. uh, back in there, like a, or an anise kind of like an, a, I an, an see anise that. type flavor. Yeah. Something there. Yeah, there's something dark there. That's I'll have to play with this and see uh, with a little eyes.
1: It it was tasty. I I would buy that again.
0: Uh, but I interrupted you on your Caribbean cask. I mm. apologize. Is, no, it's is tasty. Is
1: it as good as I said? Um, I like the double wood better, but it is. Oh, do good. you? Yeah, I, it is. It is good. But
0: how would you compare the uh the Balvenie Caribbean cask to the Basil Hayden rum cask? Oh,
1: I like the Basil Hayden better. Do you? Okay, I do. interesting. Yeah, I. It's it's smoother. This one has. This one reminds me of um I right, I had that uh Macau twelve gold it has like a like a nice strong burn to it and this reminds me a bit of that it's good I mean I I don't I don't regret buying it it's definitely tasty but um I I like the the rye a bit better
0: interesting yeah that's yeah uh, uh, rye is I think a more inaccessible flavor for a lot of people yeah. I so to hear the, and I know you I'm like your your whiskey journey is still fairly uh fairly
1: early so yeah. to hear you saying that you like the rye better is <laughs> well it's it's just that one it was so the the way they did it was just it was so smooth and then like I swear it had like notes of coconut in it it was strange but like it was just I I can't wait for you to try it it's really good as I've
0: sat here and let this four roses simmer a little bit a very nice like as a small sipping whiskey um Mm. is very warm this one really (laughs) gives you that that chest warm that you get uh from from bourbon yeah Uh, but the vanilla comes in late for me Mm -hmm. but it's definitely there and it's something that i immediately after i've sat here for 30 seconds and and let that just kind of that warmth blossom it's like I want to reach for it again and take <laughs> another sip. Like it definitely uh that's nice. Um yeah. I'm not going to lie. That's that is, that's very nice.
1: Mm-hmm. <coughs> so, obviously oh, you're you're I... coughing.
0: I'm I'm concerned.
1: <laughs> no, I I'm, I'm okay. Um Okay. So, today today is the 21st, and I'm saying that because things since the 15th have changed so dramatically that I have no idea what it's going to be like <laughs> when, the, when our listeners are actually hearing this. But um, That's so, true, yeah. That a lot could happen in the next week and a half. Right. So so today is, for the state of New York at least, it's day two of uh, basically shelter-in-place order. Shit's weird, man. I, and my prediction is, and again, this is something that – predicting
0: now for something that will – an episode mm-hmm. that will air later – but I, I think it is going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, It's interesting, I think, right, in our field, because we like to think developers and designers and all of this, like, we, more than a lot of folks, can shift where we work. Yeah. With
1: a certain amount of efficiency, but... I mean, so many of our jobs, like, my, I've been remote for two years now. So many of us can just work. You work remotely, too, do, don't you?
0: I've been a remote worker for eight years. Yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is businesses are still affected. It doesn't necessarily matter if you can work from home if your business drops off.
1: Yeah. So the economic slowdown, you know, if if you've watched, if you look at your retirement at all. Uh, yeah, commitment. I haven't. And, and don't, yeah, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Hit, yeah. But I mean, like that's hitting everybody. And so, yeah, you know, if you think about, like, think about
0: a fully loaded semi going mm-hmm. downhill. And a car stops in front of them, they got to slam those brakes, and you've yep. got this loaded truck that you know it, shit's gonna get broken yeah. because they aren't designed to do that and Up until just a few weeks ago, everything was sunshine and roses uh-huh and that's that's i think what has caught a lot of businesses off guard is how quickly things went bad, basically yeah. because yeah. people don't have content not just like people businesses don't frequently have contingencies for pandemic. <laughs> nope, yeah, nobody comes yeah. in. No, you know, everybody's doing all this stuff. There's an article at at GeekWire that mm-hmm. uh, we'll have linked in the show notes that talks about some startups in Seattle. Oh, um, yeah, they got hit hard. Yeah, so everything pretty much started in Washington and as this article outlined two different companies. One's called the Riveter. They're like a, they do co-working spaces. Okay. So obviously a problem because <laughs> shelter yeah. in place does not really afford right. co working. Can't do social distancing
1: if you're going to a place where other people are. <laughs>
0: right. Um. And uh, armoire is another one. Is that am I saying that too? Kansan? Is it armoire? Is that better? Right. Arm is armoire to uh, armory. <laughs> Storage. Um, but <laughs> they're uh, they're a subscription service. Okay. Um. And. They have seen, of course, people are, you know, canceling subscriptions. Yeah. They're not getting their boxes. They're not having clothes shipped to them. But a lot of these startups, especially, they run very cash poor. Right. Part of the reason they run these giant Series A, Series, series A, uh, Series A's, Series A's, is because they need cash to burn. Right. And so when things go bad, so to, to put it into perspective riveter put 24 employees 34% of its staff on standby Mm -hmm. they are effectively not employed during that period and depending on what happens they may not get to come back because it's still during all this time you know their revenue is plummeting they can't just bring everybody back the second the all clear is given because there won't be money there a lot of people now don't necessarily have the cash flow to continue supporting those businesses even if they really, really want to. So, like, th- there's a good... Uh, in this article, there's a good sort of description. It says, but Ar- Armois is seeing members put subscriptions on hold. New customer acquisitions are quickly slowing. Mm-hmm. Many Armoire co- customers work in the hospitality and travel industries. Both have been decimated by the social distancing mandates yeah. and closures. And so, depending on, like, who you serve, like, they, they're one of these companies that, talking about the brakes got thrown really hard really quickly and when you're trying to manage these cash flows and it just goes away you know most businesses can pivot given opportunity but that not in a couple of weeks
1: time <laughs> right well Cornell and Ithaca College both they both shut down pretty early before the school districts did when they shut down and they stopped all travel and everything the local hotels just like they, threw on, they had they throw on the brakes it was it was bad, <laughs> like all the all the hotels and hospitality like in the area like just started hemorrhaging hard, yeah, and so like w- with web development web
0: designers, you know whatever copywriters, things like mm-hmm. this, you know a lot of big companies they're they are set up well for a number of reasons, you know, Microsoft is already equipped to send people home and work, you know, and they've got cash flow and cash reserves, apple. Google, Amazon, these folks like they're they can manage for the most part through all of this, but the reality is most of us don't work at companies like that, and yeah, it's you know all of these smaller companies, these smaller industries, um, anywhere anything niche is going to be impacted, and so
1: yeah, for sure, I think
0: uh, the the other thing to really consider is working from home is hard. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. We should do an episode about that. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, And we easily could, right? Because the, the reality is, you know, a lot of people are getting a quick lesson in in this process. A lot of people not in the tech industry yeah, are getting a lesson in this. I've got some friends who work in, in other, like, what we would say is more traditional office-based um, work <laughs> have got sent home, and they're like – how do you do this? I am so bored all day. How do you sit on video calls and not fall asleep? And I'm like, you know, I've I've got my regimen. I've got my
1: process. I wake yeah. up. I put my clothes on. I wear pants. Okay, know? so wait, those I mean wake up is obvious, but I it's really important if you if you're new to working like working remotely, that's super important because it's like it's something about getting you in the right headspace and context switching correctly, you know, get up, take your shower, make your coffee, put actual clothes on. I mean, do in the correct order there. And then, you know, have your workspace set up. It's like having a routine is really important because, you know, if you go to an office, you could just, you get your stuff ready. You leave the house, you go to your car, drive to work, you know, go into your job. You have the same kind of thing that sort of gets your, your mind going. If you're getting up, don't, Work from your bed, don't work in your pajamas, you know don't laze around on the couch with your laptop or whatever, like get a table or a desk or whatever, even if it's just a corner of your kitchen. Just pick some place that's your work area and use it
0: yeah, and don't you know don't underestimate the challenges posed by it and and think i'm my I think one of the the big things i'm looking forward to is a lot of people realizing how hard it is to work from home but also mm-hmm. how I think companies are also going to learn an important lesson about the value of people who can work remotely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. In, in a lot of industries, they're going to discover that, hey, some flexibility in some of this stuff goes mm. a long way. Some people For are sure. going to discover, hey, I'm way more efficient at home when I don't have people poking in my office or whatever. Um. It won't be everybody. And it's okay at the end of all of this if you say, you know what, man, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, because it's, some people can't. It's not easy it's hard to resist that urge to go turn on the TV for an hour or go in the kitchen and and make a
1: snack every 10 minutes the the people that i think struggle with it the most are the are like the extroverted types who need to have social interactions with other humans um i i think introverted people in my experience tend to do much better with working remotely
0: yeah there's a a book by Jason Fried and DHH and i i think yes. we probably mentioned it before um, but it's called so, yeah. Remote. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in in this stuff and um like what habits you need to sort of curate in order to improve your work from home habits, I highly recommend it. It's Remote Office not required. You can get on Amazon, mm-hmm. um, get the ebook. I will put a link in the show notes to it. Uh, if you want to click that, and that of course helps support the show as well. But <laughs> Remote is a great book that will yeah. give you a lot of advice and a lot of techniques that you can employ to sort of help you know, make that easier and less stressful.
1: I think the the target audience for that book, it's like, it doesn't really have chapters. It just has like little essays. It's a series of essays. And I think the audience is either for management or employees who need solid arguments to give to management for why remote is a good thing. I, I don't like, if you're, if your office is already saying, Oh, you're you're going to do distributed work. You know, here you go. Um I don't the book will be helpful, but maybe less so. This is really more about getting management on board and maybe helping facilitate management onto the benefits of doing distributed teams. And I want to offer one last
0: piece of advice for folks and this is mild shameless self-promotion so I apologize, <laughs> but if you have found yourselves impacted by layoffs or standbys or you're just generally worried about you know, what opportunities are out there. Um, the company I work for, Aquent, that's what we do. Um, we are, we find placements for people that work in web. You're a copywriter, you're a product designer, you're a, a front-end developer, whatever. Um, if you go to aquent.com slash find work, um, I'll throw a link in the show notes. You can search by every major market in the U.S., um, remote opportunities that we have, whatever. There are jobs. There are lots of jobs as it turns out. And all you have to do is go in there and dig. And so I encourage anybody that if you're struggling or trying to find those opportunities, that is, you know, like I say, shameless self-promotion. But I, I've worked there for as long as I have because I believe in what we do and and Mm -hmm. we do it well and we do a lot of good work as, as a result of that. So, um, go check that out and make use of those listings.
1: Uh, That's a-Q-U-E-N-T.
0: A-Q-U-E-N-T. A-Q-U-E-N-T.com, com Yeah. Um, the other one, same same jobs, just a different site. You can go to vitamintalent.com as well. Vitamintalent. Um, that's our okay. sister company, but they, they share the same job database, so okay. you'll, get the, you'll get the same results uh, either one. Vitamin Talent might be an easier one to spell though on the fly. <laughs> Today's topic for this week's topic uh, for this uh, two weeks topic. Wanted to jump into something a little more techie for a change and and discuss just a piece of technology with you guys that you maybe know a little bit about but don't know a ton about or don't know the details behind. And so I convinced Aaron that it was worth spending thirty minutes today talking about the storage API. Why are you? Why are you laughing at that?
1: Storage <laughs> like, is serious like, business. You, the way you say it makes it sound like oh my. Well, I don't know, Michael. Storage on the web. You, are you, you should. Sure, <laughs> you guys should see the way he talks to me in Slack when I bring this stuff up. It's it is unkind. Let me tell you. Let's <laughs> just say we have another. Your initials are MF, and that's something else too. <laughs> yeah, no, I,
0: I believe me. I know. I went to I went to grade school. I heard all the jokes.
1: Yeah, mine is AH, so I'm not doing much better. <laughs>
0: So, uh, to start with, the most basic form of web storage that probably everybody is relatively familiar with is cookies. Yep. Cookies is web storage. Um, It is a type of web storage. Uh, now, I'm going to be hopeful that when I oh, say... wait,
1: wait, wait, we should rewind. Like, uh-oh. When you say web storage, web storage, what is the use case for this? Because we're not talking like uploading a photo to right. Facebook or like uh, saving a document in the cloud. We're talking about... In
0: information about your interactions with a site. Right. Let's, so it's like client, it.
1: client side. Uh, yeah, sort For of. the most part. Yeah, yeah sort okay. of. Yeah.
0: Cookies are really the exception to that. Um, it, Yeah, generally, it's all about state management, mm-hmm. uh, you know, information about you. Cookies, the big thing about cookies, you know, and, and the reason you keep seeing this stuff in the news is, you know, tracking. Tracking yeah. is done through cookies specifically because you you said client side cookies technically are they are stored client side but they are a server side technology right this is because uh, cookies the the one of the big differences when you visit a web page cookies get sent to the server through the headers that you're sending to request those pages right so anything stored in those cookies the server has access to this is why the tracking piece of it is a big deal there a cookie is at its heart nothing more than a single small text file it documents
1: or just a, a line in a text file really
0: it it documents the scope of that data it documents mm-hmm. the expiration of that um and a couple other uh, minor uh, uh, flags they're very small we're talking 4 kilobytes it's it generally ranges depending on the browser between like technically 4093 and 4097 bytes but four kilobytes.
1: I'm trying to think of an analogy for this. Like if, if, um, so if like server side storage where you might have like, you know, your profile photo or your profile information or the posts or comments you make, you store it in a database or on the file system on the server side. If that's like, you know, the big long-term storage, I mean, cookies aren't exactly like working memory, but it's also not, like, it's more ephemeral than that kind of storage.
0: Well, it's a good way. So, for instance, the one way we've used cookies uh, in the past is as, like, preference data. Right, yeah. Our front-end website doesn't use user accounts. So, there's nothing, you know, you if you set a preference on our website, um, the classic being cookie preferences. Do you accept <laughs> no. cookies on the site, right? Like. That The way a lot of places determine that is they store a cookie that says, did you or did you not accept cookies? <laughs> I, yes, I know it's a snake eating its tail, but it uh, you have to store it, it somehow. Co- it's just cookies all the way down. It's cookies all the way down. <laughs> but when the site itself doesn't have a user account, then there's right. no thing, you know, no ID, no uh, unique key to go back to to store in a database to say, this was this user's preference. Right. Um, technically, yes, there are ways around that, I know. But realistically, that's not the way people implement it. Um so that's a lot of like little pieces of data like that will frequently get uh, stored. I mentioned is
1: it, it is it's kind of like almost like a visitor's badge, right? Like you go into a place and it's just like this little it's this data that gets tacked onto you that describes something about your intersection with the place you're visiting yeah that that can be thrown away at any time and but it's like useful for communicating with the location you're at sort of like that it also uh, can have a lot of technical overhead you'll
0: see if you ever go you can go into any browser and Mm -hmm. go into the inspector and usually there's an area called either application i think in chrome and i think it's just called storage in firefox i may yeah. be remembering that wrong um i use muscle memory to get to it at this point <laughs> but you can go in there and you can see every cookie that is stored yeah. on uh, from a site and a lot of the times what you'll see is a lot of stuff like one that you'll see a lot j session id and it's then just a, a string of letters and numbers right that's not no human wrote that and no human is processing that that's entirely being set server side to track you so right. that it knows that you're the person doing whatever it is you're doing as you go back and forth in the site if there's anything session related that that server is doing on the back end to manage that from memory management and threads and all of that to keep it all bound together as one event there's a lot of high high technical stuff basically that can happen in cookies is
1: the J and J session ID like Java, like Java server? Pages? Java, yeah. Because I, I know I've seen PHP session ID before. Right.
0: Yeah. Same thing. Same type of deal.
1: So there's you'll
0: you'll see a lot of those, and it's not a human being that has written those. But there mm-hmm. is some there is server state management that happens as a result of those things. But then you'll see all your tracking. Uh, Cookies, all of the, you know, you'll see AdRoll mixed in there, AdWords, Google Analytics will have Mm -hmm. IDs and stuff in there. A lot of IDs, a whole lot of identifying pieces of information that gets stored in there and sent to the server so that it can be processed. Yeah. Now, this stuff, most browsers, just as a point of of technical information, you can safely store 20 cookies per site. Some browsers, let you go all the way up to 180 strictly speaking there are higher limits in a couple weird cases generally if you're right if you're building something and you're storing more than 20 cookies though you probably need to think
1: about how you're handling your
0: data quite (laughs) frankly
1: i I think i think if you're setting cookies manually maybe you should consider an abstraction later uh (laughs) Cookies have been with us for 24 years,
0: though. These things launched back in one of, you know, the ancient IE versions back in 1996. I, what was that, IE 2 or 3?
1: Yeah, I, I remember, I think it was an HTML 3.0 book that I had. It was an O'Reilly. I forget what was on the cover, though. But it had, it was like a rhino or something. Or camel. No, the camel was pearl. Oh, whatever. Anyways, um, <laughs> I it was like document.setcookie and... uh. They were really, I mean, it was It was just like, I don't know, it, it was kind of pointless. Like it, it was, you know, like, oh, you can see the, the last page that they, or like they ask them their name or something like that, or, you know, which pages did they visit on your site? It was really, um, like, you had to do all the server interactions you did were through CGI. So we didn't have a lot of the elaborate um, web applications like we do now. So you really couldn't leverage cookies that quite the same as you can nowadays.
0: Yeah, and as a result, the one thing, and, and we've talked about it on this show a couple times between Chrome and Firefox, you're seeing this move towards a, blocking cookies. And i i think I think cookies are probably in their twilight years as a technology at this point. Um, Third party cookies, I think, are pretty much universally going to be blocked within a yeah. couple more versions of most browsers. There's, I'll have an article there from The Verge that talks a lot about, uh, you know, from uh, Edge to Chrome, Safari, all of these, and, and what's happening there. But increasingly, just because of privacy-minded stuff and trying to comply with GDPR and CCPA and all these privacy laws, browsers are basically throwing their hands up and saying, you know what, we, fuck it, <laughs> we're just going to block third-party. So co- cookies can be first-party, cookies can be third-party, first-party cookies... Are cookies you are setting for your mm. site third party cookies are cookies that are getting set by other things on your site on behalf of you from other domains so Google Analytics is a good well, I think Google Analytics actually sets first party cookies now <laughs> um but like tracking facebook cookies um you know Twitter tracking, things like that uh, anything you do in in that regard, if you use a tool like add this for social sharing or anything like mm. that, discuss for commenting. They all set third-party cookies, and you'll see those on your site. And that's uh, what we call an origin. Even though some are first-party, some are are third-party, they are all part of your origin, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're going to get blocked someday. And I mean, I think first-party cookies will probably always be allowed, but uh, by and large, the second part of what we're going to talk about, I think, is the future for most of that. You can do all this in vanilla JavaScript. You can set cookies quite easily.
1: But but why would you?
0: I mean, again, preferences, you know, things.
1: That, <laughs> if you're not familiar with the local storage <laughs> API. That's true. I Actually, no, I, I, I take that back. I'm being snarky. You're being snarky. But, but, I mean, getting down to the bare metal on that is always a really good way to understand the abstractions that you use later and, on. And there are, so, there there is one difference that cookies
0: have that the storage API doesn't have cookies have an expiration date. Yes. And so if you are doing anything time sensitive, so for instance, good example, we built a product that lets users submit information in a survey to us. And we want to lock that down. One of the ways we do that is by setting a cookie that says, Hey, this person submitted, but we don't want them to not be able to submit ever again That cookie has an expiration date of 60 days on it. So if they come back in two months, if they come back in one month, they get a message that says, Hey, thanks, we've recorded your information. Please come back later and
1: clear their session data.
0: Yeah. Obviously you can clear your session data. That's you know, that that's always going to be true for anything we're gonna talk about here. But I
1: I think I think a good I I keep trying to think of a way to, to like mentally model why you might intentionally use cookies like explicitly and the the thing that i think i'm running into is that you know we use cookies to kind of mediate the session relationship with the user but ultimately the user has control over that data you know you could go and you could edit your own session you could edit your own cookies if you wanted yeah totally um, So, like, you wouldn't want to put anything sensitive in there. Which you, and you or also... I
0: know, but the average
1: user does not know that. <laughs> sure, but you don't want to put, like, financial data in it. or No, like... yeah, absolutely not. Yeah.
0: And that's one of the big risks, right? Because the, the one thing, cookies are set server-side, they're store- or client-side, they're stored client-side, but they are sent to the server to be used right. server-side in those headers. So you've got two big problems. One, if you are not using a site over HTTPS... Um, it's not encrypted with SSL. Then that data, whatever is in it, is being sent in plain text. Mm-hmm. And there have been in the past, like before now, and I'm you know going back ten years, fifteen years, when SSL was not as common as it is, and application development was not as refined and uh, matured as it is now. People would put session data in cookies. Yeah. And that resulted in the second problem, which was uh, people would build man-in-the-middle attacks Mm -hmm. where if your cookie is flowing through a compromised router or server or something like that, they would grab that cookie and do what's called session hijacking. Right. Once they know your session ID, if the server didn't know how to truly authenticate that and, and validate it, you could take their session ID, put it into your system, and now you're them.
1: Let's say that Amazon didn't do SSL and they were just running a naked website but still selling everything ever to everyone. And you went to that site, and but your router or your browser were compromised by a third party doing a man-in-the-middle attack. And you go and you say, like, oh, I really want to buy, you know, uh, this bottle of scotch. We'll just imagine you can buy scotch in Amazon. I don't know if you can. No, you can't. <laughs> okay. Well, let's imagine that's also possible since we're in a fantasy world. Fingers so, crossed. this other this other person could then they would they would hijack they would get your request and then they would transform it and they would change the address that you're providing with a different address that gets sent to Amazon. And then when Amazon sends the response back, they would then change that address back to the address you gave it originally and give that back to you. So, the browser session that you're seeing it looks like you're putting everything there correctly, but ultimately the attacker is going to have that scotch sent to whoever they want it to be. Probably them, but maybe their friend or whoever. And just to be maybe clear, that's not how Amazon works, but. No, no, it's not. Amazon uses SSL and you will not have that issue with Amazon specifically, but that's how a man in the middle attack might work. That's that's session hijacking. And it, right. like I say, it's not nearly as prevalent as it used
0: to be because most mm-hmm. applications like it, you, you're using something out of the box like WordPress Yeah, that doesn't work with WordPress anymore thing. You know, that right. stuff is hardened in a way that makes it uh, not possible. But if it's something you're writing and you're not being cognizant of some of that security stuff, yeah, absolutely a problem.
1: Yeah. If, if you're doing anything that involves personal data or financial data, or I I think those two things are the main ones. Make sure that the site has HTTPS. It usually has a key on the top by the URL. Um, If you don't, if you're not providing that kind of information, it sort of doesn't matter. Like I don't have HTTPS for my personal blog, but like, I I mean, what, like someone's going to session hijack the comment you're leaving. Like, can you break?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And just for the sake of, of humoring this, I've got imager open in a tab. Mm. And so I just pulled up my cookies for imager and like just scrolling through them. You can look at them and see like, there is nothing personal in it at all. Like everything is like hashed values and you can do that. You could hash data before you store it and think and encrypt it or do whatever I see. Like, so here's one F underscore sort value is newest. So they're using a cookie to save my sort preference on this machine. Mm-hmm. And so you were asking, like, why, you know, where where would I, why would I use cookies on something? So this is a case of, like, I maybe want to sort by newest on one machine, but maybe on my other machine I want to sort by most popular or something like that. So it right. allows me to change the behavior per machine rather than having that defined by my account, so to speak. Right. Okay. The, that's just an, you know uh, one case but and obviously you, you could do that in local storage too uh that's not unique in that case and actually looking at local storage um local storage is way different as it turns out um there's a lot of stuff in there that's kind of interesting um they're storing the last uh last referenced post you looked at things like that and to help tracking and probably some kind of interaction and like back and forth nav anyway I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole before we talk about the storage API. So the storage (laughs) API is the second part of this conversation when it comes to web storage. The storage API, you may see it referenced in many different ways. You'll see it called straight-up local storage. Some people will refer to it as DOM storage, um, or some people will just say web storage. But those are all talking about the same thing. We're talking about the storage API, which is a browser API that has a little jailed um index db that or or whatever in in the browser where all of this key value stuff can be stored and right. it's not new i think that's an important thing to you know like just like cookies so cookies have been around since uh, 1996 old what, tried and true how long
1: has how long has browser storage been around i remember seeing it i think when i first really heard about it was probably 20 14, 2015, around there. It's like five, six years ago. Yeah. So
0: as like a measure, so we had cookies in 96. The storage API launched with IE8 in 2009. Okay. So we've had it for 11 years.
1: I wasn't too far behind then.
0: Yeah. And, you know, of course, that early, it was still new. It was still, you know, it wasn't adopted everywhere. So probably by 2014, it was well-adapted. And that's something I'll I'll throw a link just in case anybody wants to reference uh to the can I use uh, uh chart for it. It is universally supported across the board completely. Like I say, it has been since IE eight. It's uh been supported in every version of Edge. It's been in Firefox since version three point five, in Chrome since version four, in opera since version eleven and a half. So and like Opera's on version sixty six right now. Just <laughs> for a comparison. So, like, this is something, it is it is mature, it is safe, it is I, supported. I
1: Opera for using sequential numbers and not doing whatever it is Microsoft does.
0: Well, now, Edge is the same as Chrome. So, like, Edge was, you know, went to version 12 or whatever, but yeah. then they jumped to Chrome's uh, WebKit versioning. So, they're both version 80.
1: There, there, it's funny, there's a point... It seems for a lot of, especially modern software products, when they they realize that, like, the um, the novelty of, like, you know, 20, 25 years ago, you know, it was a big deal when a program like, released a new version because they came out so rarely. But nowadays, like, you know, you'll have major version releases every few months. And if you're just using Semver, then you're going to have frequently. And and you get
0: them automatically in most cases. Yeah. Which is great. You know, part of the uh, amazing things about that is that's one reason why CSS Grid was so successful as a new CSS feature that rolled out because now we didn't have to wait on people to update browsers. Browsers just updated and they were able to roll that spec in and just materialized in a much more streamlined version. That's neither here nor there, but Um, there's a couple articles I'll link, one from alligator.io and I'll also link to the, uh, uh, the web storage spec that just has a lot of the technical stuff involved, um, in it. But if you want to read that technical Mm -hmm. stuff, it'll be there. One of the big advantages that the storage API gives you, I said, cookies have a limit of basically four kilobytes of data, right? Granted, that's a fair amount of data, you know, from just like storing little strings. But local storage (laughs) can, uh, A, it does vary by browser for what it's worth. Right. Every browser is a little different. So you kind of have to be aware of that. Usually it's 10 megabytes.
1: I have, I I just looked on Firefox and it says for between cookies and local storage, I'm using 497 megabytes of data. So, like in total,
0: across everything.
1: Yeah. Across all sites. Yeah. Um, So I I didn't look at how that data is being used or what's in it, but I, sites are clearly making good use of yeah. it. <laughs>
0: uh, fun fact, and this is going to be one of those things that I'm going to bet most people don't know. The storage API through the browser has a cap on how much data it can use in total, like across all of your browsing habits. Um, It's 50% of your hard drive. What? What? So if you've got a one terabyte hard drive, web storage is technically allowed through the browser to occupy up to 500 gigs of that.
1: Does it do it by looking at your disk geometry or? Well, I mean, the the browser
0: knows how big your hard drive is because it's a system level application. So yeah. So it knows how much drive space there is. Um, And so it just says, so my limit is 50% of that. Now, there are other factors that play into that because there are limits per origin. So that goes back to this idea that my site is an origin um, and, and the subdomains thereof.
1: Okay, so is it based on the size of the drive your system is on or on the size of the drive where the application is launched from?
0: Probably from
1: where the application is launched from. So if you put your browser... On like a hundred meg partition, then it will cap out local storage at 50 megs. I'm gonna like
0: not say <laughs> yes or no because I don't, I, I honestly I don't know technically if I that's just, true or not, but
1: I kind of want to like make a small partition just to test this out.
0: <laughs> and it it actually, it may very well be the system drive because I'm guessing like mm-hmm. I, I haven't looked at like where local storage technically gets stored, but like in right. Windows, I'm guessing it's probably in like the user profile data for your oh, yeah, your system yeah. account, your operating system account. So it's probably that.
1: It's interesting. My, my system, I, I do have my system on a separate partition and that's smaller. So hmm. again, again, fun fact, if you're storing that
0: much stuff in local storage for your application, <laughs> you have a different problem to deal with. The, the one exception to the 10 megabyte rule is Safari, which I think is still five megabytes. Last I knew. Okay um though they do offer unlimited quote unquote storage if it's session storage which we'll talk about in this in just a second right but again you're talking you know even if you keep it at 5 megs that's so much more than the 4 kilobyte per you know what's 4 kilobytes times 20 cookies is 80 kilobytes yeah so like you're still light years ahead from a, <laughs> a standpoint of how much access uh, you've got the storage API I mentioned has two parts: local storage and then session storage. That was the one I mentioned with Safari. Local storage is persistent. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing to know. Session storage is. Can you guess? Uh, I'm guessing
1: it's not persistent. It's not persistent. It gives up. Very it, good. It gives up. You give a little bit of resistance, and it's like you know what? I'm gonna go a a plus do something else. You get a star. <laughs> a star rage um, so yeah
0: session storage and local storage they're the exact same beast the only difference is session storage obviously expires when you close your tab or browser oh. Um, local storage and I mentioned talking about cookies cookies have expiration dates local yeah. storage has none and I don't know why these can't get this done better so local storage having no expiration is maybe good maybe bad I, I think it would be nice to have it with cookies, the thing that always got me was have, – have you ever deleted a cookie in code? Uh,
1: probably. Do you, do you know – I have like, – like all the stuff I've done with cookies has been like through layers of abstraction. Like either using – like when I did PHP, I was using the cookies. Right, like, yeah. SuperVar super or like in Rails. I I think it's – I think you said it in the configuration whether or not you want use cookie storage and then – it just gets handled kind of implicitly by operations you do. So
0: there's this really, really stupid thing about cookies. If you want to delete them, here's mm-hmm. the trick. So local storage has no expiration, which is weird. Cookies, to delete them, you have to set the value of the cookie to nothing, which is half okay. of it. <laughs> the okay. The other half is to set your expiration date to January 1st, 1970.
1: Oh, C time. So or epoch, epoch time, yeah, epoch. But yeah. it's just such a stupidly
0: random thing to be like, yeah, I have to remember to set the expiration string the Thursday the first of January nineteen seventy at zero GMT. It's
1: like so okay, so well, hold on. the the reason for that, you probably know this, but maybe the listeners don't. The reason for that is because so that's called uh, epoch time, or I think also C time. And any time you're tracking any kind of date or time or anything, what it's actually tracking is the number of seconds since that exact moment in time. So when you set a cookie to that day at midnight, you're just setting it to be – you're setting the time of it to be zero. Right. But that's stupid. Like that is that is a
0: stupid <laughs> way to have to delete a cookie. Oh, I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> So, the, but the nice thing, so the the storage API, and again, this is the same whether you're doing it session-based or local storage, I'll, and I'll throw the MDN link as well, just so this is, you can reference all this after mm. the show, but they have four methods, they work the same way, and they're beautiful. Set item, okay. get item, remove item, and clear. Nice. And that's like all you that. have to know. Yeah. There's no, again, I mean, there is no date handling at all, but... Nice. It's a JavaScript API um, because session storage and local storage cookies are a server-side technology. They get sent in the headers to the the site that you're talking to. Session storage and local storage are purely client-side, and okay. you access them through JavaScript. The only possible way the server gets access to it is if the JavaScript itself is making the calls back to the server using that data for something. But it is not intrinsically sent to the server the way cookies are it you know that can be good that can be bad depending on what you're trying to get done but it does also mean like if you're using https you don't have to worry about anything because all your communication is going to be encrypted that way um, you would never have to worry about it being sent in plain text again unless somebody has built it wrong the biggest drawback if there's if there's anything i would call out is that and this is true with cookies as well but yeah. local storage only supports strings, so it's a key value pair, and the value is a string. No matter okay. what, you put a number in it, it's a string representation of the number. You put right a JSON blob in it, it's a string representation of the JSON blob. Okay. Now you can still you can store integers in it. You can store arrays in it. JSON. Can uh, you,
1: can, can you take like a, can you take like a binary and base sixty four encode it and store it? Sure. That's a string. I, I, it's a rhetorical question. Up, I know you can. Yeah. Up, <laughs> up to five megs. Nice.
0: The, the one thing you can do though, is you could store those and you can, of course, type check them on saving and, and retrieval and then cast them back to their proper type. Um, there's two, like with JSON. if you're doing anything with JSON data, I mentioned, I was looking at uh imager uh, and what it's got stored. And one of the things I noticed straight away is that there's a lot of JSON data in there. There are several arrays in there. JSON, luckily, has two perfectly useful uh, uh, methods on it that you can call JSON.stringify. Oh. That stringifies your your content and you can store it. Okay. And then JSON.parse. So you retrieve it and then you just dot .parse it and boom, you've got a normal JSON object to work with. Cool. That So even though there is sort of that weird limitation that it's it's quote unquote string only, you can represent a lot of things as strings and then, you know, cast them after the fact. There are libraries that can help with this. One, and there, there are many, let me be very clear, there are a lot of libraries to help with this. There are jQuery plugins that will help with this. Um, there's one that I've used and that I like, and I'm just going to talk about it. And you can go to NPM and just do a search for the word local storage, and you'll find some. Mm-hmm. Um, but store.js is the one that I've used, and I really like okay. it. So it, it does what you were talking about, Aaron. It's abstraction. Mm-hmm. It's a layer of abstraction that can sit on top of all of this. And all you have to do is whatever you're building, it installs through NPM, or you can just download it as a static asset and include it on your site. It supports several different storage uh, schemes and you can specify which ones you want or you can just use all of them but one of the things it does is it checks the browser for what is supported and it can fail through them until it finds one that works so if the browser if it's an old browser that doesn't support local storage it'll check other things until it gets to cookies and it says, oh hey, but cookies work, so it will store your stuff in a cookie when you do a set or a get action. You don't have to worry about if it's using a cookie. Mm-hmm. All you have to worry about is because again, it's a layer of abstraction, and it's smart enough to know which one it is. The other thing that it's good at is it does all that casting. So it knows when it's dealing with an integer or a JSON string oh, and nice. things like that. And it's even got some operators that are super cool because it it lets you go like pull data out of local storage based on JSON values in those and call properties out of it. Because again, it's abstracting that and underneath the covers it's doing all the for each loops to pull all the values and search them properly and do all that. But you don't have to worry about any of the code to make that happen. So cool. that's, you know, that process of, I don't know of... if I've used that before or not. It's yeah, worth looking at. Um, yeah, like I say I I like it a whole lot. Um, I and I like the fact that it kind of helps with all of this. The one thing I'm going to caution: there is one uh, catch, and okay. it, it does come in. I think very specifically with a tool like Store, and it goes back to part of what we were talking about early on about um, like security and privacy. And part of the reason cookies are a problem is because of stuff like GDPR, CCPA, all this right. privacy stuff, right? When you are using cookies, and this is true, uh, the EU cookie law and a user's right to delete cookies or you know control how they're being tracked, mm-hmm. the quote unquote cookie law does not apply just to cookies. It applies to any stored data about the user, and so you oh. you need to you do need to pay attention. Now, using a, a tool like Store.js does still help. Because you don't have to really care how it's doing it, but you still need to make sure you're taking the time to know what is and is not being set mm-hmm. and how you're going to handle letting users control those things. And a lot of people don't want to deal with that. They don't want to think about it. They want to do all or nothing. Um, believe me, that that is a topic that will be coming up here on the podcast um, probably sooner rather than later is really digging into – all of you know these requirements for cookies and why you right. see these banners popping up everywhere and how you build those tools um so store.js or any of you know the the local storage api uh, tools can certainly help you with that but you do need to at least take some time to pay attention to how your data is stored and and where it goes yeah nice so i hope that was helpful i know this this was a nice little lightweight i think uh Chat, but there's
1: a. I think we need it right now, man. Yeah, we we need we need some easy
0: stuff right now. I think all of us. And this is a fun, like it's it's interesting to go play with and start. Um, we've built a, a several tools over the past few years at my mm. job that have used local storage heavily. Um, and it's pretty cool when you start thinking about like all of these little things you can do. It's like, oh yeah, you know what? If we save this piece of data and the user comes back,
1: then we can show them the exact thing they saw the last time. I thought of a good analogy. Finally, it, it's it's like. It's like client-side validation versus server-side validation. Like, you wouldn't... Like, server-side validation is like, we need... We're going to check this data to make sure that it works so it doesn't break anything or do bad stuff. Client-side validation is, we're going to do stuff here just so that the user has an easier experience interacting with our site. That's kind of the difference there, right? Like, you're using browser storage or cookies to sort of facilitate their experience if they don't want to do that like if they just want to delete cookies every session that's on them like whatever no big deal but like you're not going to put anything in there that's going to like be game-breaking or is critical right yeah and that yeah that's a great point that it doesn't matter
0: if you're using cookies local storage session storage especially session storage Mm -hmm. i mean you always have to operate from the assumption that the next time that user comes back you may have none of that data Right, it may all be gone, and so the stuff yep. you would store in user accounts in a database about that user that's all the stuff that you need
1: to make sure it's always available when they log in and yeah. come in and and all of that so but you can put any anything in in browser storage that would be facilitating their experience right, and be aware that and you mentioned this Aaron that users can edit that.
0: You can go yep. in <laughs> and change a value in there and and put something in you can add your own values it doesn't do anything because. I mean, if the if the server or whatever doesn't need it, then it just ignores it. But you can you can go in there and manipulate that stuff as a user. You can delete stuff. Whether that some people delete everything when they close their browsers, you know that's a privacy yeah. setting that does exist. So yeah, something to keep in mind.
1: Go and tweak your cookies, and then take screenshots and send it to the tech support. And be like, why is the site look like this? <laughs>
0: So, like I said, I hope that was helpful. Um sit back with us for just a second. We're going to get to our sponsors and get back and get out of your hair. The Drunken UX podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunken UX. That's nucloudcom
1: slash drunken UX. Oh, well, thanks for sticking with us, everyone. Long-winded, <laughs> I, I know. I hope hope everyone's cabin fever is okay and uh you know I guess I hope that everything is still alive and functioning and that it's not you know the nine days from now till this airs that it's not like Mad Max out there take care of yourselves and go out like yeah. you, you may be social distancing you may not
0: be going indoor. the outdoors are still open for business though go for a walk go for a hike
1: you know I, I think go for a bike ride if you weren't working before anyways uh Look up, look up, like strategies and techniques for working remotely. Because if you're homebound right now and unable to do social things, I, I bet there's probably some good suggestions for how to kind of maintain sanity and keep things going. Yeah, um, one of the best ways I think you can do that is by connecting with us on uh, social media. Check us out. Yeah. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. We're at slash Drunken UX. I mean, between the two of us we've got 10 years of solid remote working experience so we're happy to answer questions and we know lots of people who also work remotely so yeah definitely reach out
0: yeah yeah hit us up chat with us ask questions um, it, hit us in Slack uh, com slash Slack we're happy to give you advice there if you want to have a longer conversation or even a private conversation you know obviously mm-hmm. Twitter Facebook those are more public but you can come in Slack and, Wait, Twitter's, and Twitter's public and DM well some of them are <laughs> Not all of them, but you can have you can DM us on Slack or whatever, you can DM us on Twitter too. Um, yeah, if you're scared or want advice or something, and well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, and, and Instagram is also a place where we are sharing all the memes lately. So.
1: Yeah. No, dude. I was just gonna say, like, the meme game has been on point. There's been some good ones I in there. Thank you. Uh, that's
0: Instagram.com/slash/drunkenuxpodcast. And yeah, the last piece of uh, remote stuff, just uh, like I say, we'll have a link to it. But go check out uh, uh, DHH's uh, book Remote. Uh, well, Jason Fried and DHH's book Remote, right. um, Office Not Required. We'll have a link to that in our show notes. You know, if nothing else, I think it'll help ease anxiety and, and
1: give you some good mm-hmm. advice and things like that. And um, you know, there. Oh, make have a routine. Have have a routine. I, yes, I we, we sort of touched on it earlier. That's probably the most important thing. Like, day-to-day, like, put yourself, even if it's, like, the most basic of things, you know, banalities, like, just have a routine that you do every day. It will give your day structure and help you from, help the days from bleeding together. And honestly... It's really important.
0: The most important piece of advice I can possibly give you on a show like this and, and talking about that is put your pants on. Um, <laughs> don't, you know, th- that that joke about, oh, we're... Doing video chats and, and oh they're not wearing pants, <laughs> they just have a shirt on. No, every, put your damn pants on. Yeah. You you're still a human being working and it,
1: it I'll be honest, I, I didn't wear jeans today. I'm wearing my NASA pajama pants you kind of Yeah.
0: You put your pants but, on. Uh, but Saturday, actually man <laughs> I, I say that and in all honesty it, it's true. Um, but there is another important piece of advice and folks that is to keep your personas close. And your users closer. Bye-bye. Still rage.